0: Uh, We are in the book of Revelation, and we're finishing up our series called Songs of Hope. And if you remember the Songs of Hope series, it's been our Advent and our Christmas series. And what we've been doing throughout this series is we've been looking at the specific times in Scripture where characters in the Bible sang songs. And we know that the book of Psalms is filled with hymns and songs, right? We have an entire book of the Bible that's focused on songs. But these songs that we've been looking at through this series are really more extemporaneous. There are times in which, um, whether it's an angel, an a- typically an angel, shows up to these characters, tells them something, and then they, they end up going from fear to faith. And what we found through this series is that singing was often a, an indication of belief or faith. And so these characters that we've dug into have gone from fear to faith. That's not necessarily the situation this morning, as we will see, because we're at a spot in Revelation where... Everything has come into being. All, all the plans of Scripture have found their final ending point, their final fulfillment. And um, I said at the 9 a.m., and I'll say it again now, that, you know, when we enter into the book of Revelation, we have to be careful because, man, there's, of, of any other book of the Bible, there has been more written work on the book of Revelation than any other book of the Bible. Right, because you get into the Book of Revelation and you have all these crazy things going on. Right, you have all this prophetic language going on, and people start saying, "Okay, what is this? Is this, you know, what are the seven spirits, and what is the horns, and what is all this stuff? What's the beast, and who is the beast?" And you have all this stuff going on, and while that can be fun to dig into at times, right, um, or exhausting or expensive, right, By all those books. Um, instead, let me just suggest this: the Book of Revelation is peering deeper into, it's, it's kind of focusing in on something, an event that we already know is going to happen throughout scripture. Like we're already told that this is going to take place. And so what we're going to do, uh, kind of the structure that I have, is we're going to look at creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And if you've been around, um, if you've been around Capitol Prez for very long, you, you, you know that this is, this is really how we structure our children's ministry, is by focusing on these four topics. And luckily our text this morning it clearly lays out these four topics, but it's, it's kind of ironic because it's those four topics that you need to go into with the book of Revelation in order to understand really what's going on. Because if you go trying to figure out where everything is leading, it can quickly get messy, and I really think you'll actually end up being more destructive to the book's content than actually being helpful to what I think um, God is doing in the book of Revelation. So we are in Revelation chapter 5. going to read verses 1 through 10, and I'll pray and then we'll, we'll dive in. So chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and a priests and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. And let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do pray that uh, we, we, we ask that you would work in our hearts through your word, Lord, we know that your spirit is, is what changes us and makes us more into your people. So God, as we open up your word, we're thankful for it, and we do pray that you would work in us. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know how your Christmas holiday was. Um, I had some family that came into town, um, which was great and exhausting and all those good things, right? Um, but my dad called me right before he came into town. And he said, hey, we're bringing your brother and sister into town as well, um, and uh, we really want to do something fun. And I, and I said to him, I said, Dad, I, like everything's closed down. What do you want me to do, right? And so I, he's like, well, just figure out something. And so I, I went on this just big excursion trying to find something fun that we could do, right? And as you know, like all the museums are closed down. Everything's like locked up tight because of COVID and everything else. And so I'm trying to find, but I, I found some stuff to do. But, but what was more interesting was the stuff that we didn't end up doing that I found out that you could do, right? One of those things um, was related to, to cinemas or theaters. You guys, right, you, know, you go see a movie at the theater, right? And as you, as you probably know, most theaters have been closed down for, for months now. Um, and pan, the pandemic has definitely hit all those theaters really in a, in a really bad way. But what I found was that some theaters have kind of pivoted in this season that are remaining open. And uh, you can actually go to a th- some of these theaters and rent out an entire theater to yourself. And get this, you can rent it out for $150. $150, I know, right? Go, like, after the service. Don't do it right now. But after the service, go, you know, rent yourself a theater. But you can go rent yourself a theater for, like, $150 and, and, and get this. You don't have to watch any of their movies. You can take your own movie with you, and they'll play whatever movie you want. $150, you take your family whoever, and whoever you want, as long as you're, you stay socially distanced. And, you know, if you want to watch this movie, you can watch that movie. You want to watch that movie, you watch that movie. You can do whatever you want in there, right? Um, and I... I threw this out to my family. I said, well, you know, we could do this, and they they decided not to, but it led us on this trail of talking about something that I I found out through this holiday season that apparently I hold to a view about movies that is socially unacceptable, I'll tell you what it is. Um, This is a share, yeah, everyone's like, what is he talking about? I'll tell you, don't worry. It's nothing too crazy. Um, I found out that apparently, have you guys ever heard of spoilers? Like, you know what spoilers are, right? Yep. I love spoilers. I love finding out what's going to happen in a movie before I go see it. Right? Does is anybody else? Can I get an amen? Anybody else? Yes. Okay, all of three of us. Sweet. Okay, great. We'll have a, a, a community session afterwards. Um, but but I, I told my family this that I like to find out like what happens in a movie. Like if a new movie comes out. Like so, the Star Wars movie came out this last last year, whatever it came out or whatever, and I. Before I go see it, I go look up what's going to happen right? And I know you're looking at me with shame now, but that's what I do, okay? I love, or I find somebody that's seen the movie, and I'm like, hey, tell me everything, right? You guys remember Charles Lewis used to be on Stafford Church, right? He's now down in Richmond. Charles was like, he was just, he loved going to the theater all the time, and he would always go right whenever movies came out, and right after he came back from those, I would like see him the next day, I'd be like, Charles, tell me everything, right? And we would have this big, long fight about him not wanting to tell me, and eventually he would tell me, right? (laughs) Why? Because I love spoilers, I just do. I'll tell you all the reasons afterwards if you really want to know. But the point is, is that as we enter the book of Revelation, the, the reality is, is we already know what's going to happen. If you've read other parts of Scripture, you already know that God has created everything good. Because of sin, it's fallen. That through Jesus, it's been redeemed. Right? And that through Jesus, it's going to, be, in his people, it's going to be restored. Right? You don't need the book of Revelation to tell you that. You have that in plenty of other places in Scripture. But the book of Revelation focuses in on the event of that restoration, and, and if anything, it's just a reminder. And it just kind of—I I, really—I love the book of Revelation because it, um, as long as you don't allow it to just kind of like go crazy with all the all the 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 prophetic work, uh, talk, it really helps you. I think increase your faith, encourage your faith because God gives you a little picture into that restoration moment when he brings everything to fulfillment. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna begin with creation. And luckily, our text does that. Uh, We're actually gonna start... One verse before our text begins in chapter four, verse eleven, it's important to remember that the biblical text didn't have chapters and verses until really between six to or really five to eight hundred AD. It's when the Masoretes put in the chapters and verses, and so before that they just it just flowed through as a letter. And so verse four eleven flows into five one. And so we'll begin with verse four eleven. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. We have to remember that our understanding of God, our giving worship and glory and honor to God, begins and is at excuse me, and is at its basis in understanding that God is worthy of this praise because He is Creator and Sustainer. Because God has created everything. And because he sustains everything, he is worthy of our praise. You know, I, I was thinking about this um, in relation to just how fragile we as human beings are, right? And I, I, I had this thought, and then I went and looked it up later. Um, but you think about just breathing, right? Everybody take a breath. Right? Maybe I shouldn't have had you do that and with the pandemic, but I don't know. Whatever. Uh, but you take a breath, right? Very very, most of the time we don't ever think about taking a breath, do we? It's just something we involuntarily do. In fact, I looked it up and apparently you breathe about 16 times a minute, which comes out to breathing every 3.75 seconds. So we'll round up and we'll say that you involuntarily breathe every four seconds and you never think about breathing, do you? It's just something you do because you need oxygen, right? You need O2. I said in the first service, I, I said, because you need H2O right? And I just kept on going. I'm like, luckily, Steve Welke, as a great ruling elder he is, as he is, he came up to me, he goes, h 20 is water. I'm like, I'm an idiot, right? So it's just, just oxygen, right? We need oxygen. Every four seconds we breathe, it goes in and it nourishes us. What happens if you don't breathe, right? I looked this up. At 10 seconds without breathing, you cognitively recognize that you don't have oxygen, means that the the signals in your brain, the neurons start running and saying, oh, I make you aware that, oh, you haven't taken a breath. At 30 seconds, you begin to lose consciousness because you need air. And that doesn't mean that you pass out. It just means that your mind at 30 seconds without air, it will be able to concentrate on nothing else beside beside its need for oxygen at 30 seconds. Going a little bit further, at 60 seconds without air, brain cells begin dying. Which, as I was, when I was a kid, I used to always do that thing with my brother and sisters, where it's like, oh, let's see how long we can not breathe, right? That explains why I don't know the chemistry things, because I played that game too much. <laughs> 60 seconds, brain cells start dying. Who knows how many brain cells I've lost, but whatever. At 180 seconds, neurons suffer more extensive damage. So that's three minutes. If you go without oxygen for three minutes, neurons suffer more extensive damage. And then finally, four to five minutes, you'll die four to five minutes without breath, and our existence is done. Think about how fragile we are as human beings. And then you look at God who needs nothing. I don't even know if I can fathom that. I don't know if I I really sit down and think about it. I don't think I can really understand this idea that God needs nothing, that that he is apart from everything. That he is a sustainer, creator, that that there's nothing that he needs. I remember whenever I was a kid, I was told the falsity that God created the world and created humans because he wanted our worship. He needed our worship. And that's not true. God doesn't need our worship, right? He doesn't need our praise. He is fully loved and appreciated and receives everything within the Godhead, the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. What we learn through scripture, as theologians have expounded, is that God creates not because he needs anything. He creates because he wants to share his love, his kindness, his mercy. He wants to extend it, right, to others. God is beside us. He's apart from us. God needs nothing. And so in creation, it points us to the worship of God, the worthiness of God. Our text transitions us from creation to the fall when it says in verse 1 then i saw and again it just it's just setting the setting the the um, the scene there first verse then i saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? I do want to just point out that the reason why the scroll is written on the, it says on the back, on the, on the front and on the back is because it's supposed to point to the fact that it's complete. You would typically never on a, on a, on a scroll write on the back of it because there was one side that was smooth and there was one side that wasn't. And so you would just write on the smooth side. But the fact that the scroll is written on the front and the back tells us two things. One, that it's extensive, that there was a lot that needed to be written down. Secondly, it tells us that it is complete. It is finished. It's done. And so then we have this this scroll, it says it's sealed with seven seals. The number seven in scripture is the number of completion. It just means it is, it is, it is filled, it is authentic, authenticated, it's complete. The seals don't, you know, there's lots of things that theologians have said about the seals. Uh, maybe they relate to the churches in the beginning of the book of Revelation. Who knows? The point is not how many seals there are. The point is that no one is there to open them, right? No one is worthy enough to open the seals. And so we have this angel that says this declaration, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? If God created all things good and everything perfect, then everyone should be able to open the scroll, right? Everyone should be able to open the seal. But we know that's not true because of the fall. We get Genesis 2 and 3 where we have the fall, where human beings sin against God, break relationship with God, which is why no one is able to open the scroll. We see that our author, who's the Apostle John, says describes in verse one and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And then he says, and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. This makes sense because sin is devastating. You never sit with somebody as I have, and as, um, as you may have, as they're dying of cancer or whatever it may be, you never sit with them and say, yeah, this is normal. This is the way it's meant to be. No, it wasn't. In God's perfect wisdom, we were never meant to die. You don't go to funerals and say, oh, this is normal. No, it's because God didn't intend this for humanity. It was sin. It was rebellion against God that brought this into God's perfect world. makes sense that the apostle John weeps. The story continues. Verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Ah, man, we could preach an entire sermon on that, couldn't we? Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The good news of the gospel is that the Lord doesn't leave us in our sin, but he sends Jesus for us. The, the, the names of the lion of the tribe of Judah the root, and the root of David, those are just names for the messianic figure in the Old Testament. Again, pointing to Jesus who is the lamb. It's why our song is called the Lamb Song. It's the title of the message this morning. But, it said, but the important thing is that it says, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And then verse 6 picks up on focusing on this, this figure, this lamb, who is Jesus. Verse 6 says, in between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain what is going on here right what is it what is why is the lamb standing as though it had been slain the point is it's not it's not meant to trick you but it's the idea that the lamb had been slain but slain things don't stand do they no slain slain things lay on the ground but this slain thing has been resurrected it's standing if you remember in the Gospel of, of, of John, which is the author of Revelation as well, we have that interaction with Thomas, where Thomas wants to see the scars of Jesus, right? What's the point? The point is, someday, when you meet Jesus, you will be able to see his scars. Because he, you, you can see that he was slain. But he doesn't lay down as a slain person, he's standing. And that's the point that the author is making. It goes on, and this is where we can get into kind of some of the... Some of the different views, but I'll, I'll try and explain them as best I can. So he sees this, the lamb standing as though it had been slain. And it continues on, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Again, seven is the, the number for completion in scripture. What is the horns? Throughout the Old Testament, horns were, t- were meant to focus in on authority. Horns were supposed to focus in on authority, right? So if you have seven horns, then what do you have? All authority. Complete authority. And then it goes into the seven eyes. What are the seven eyes? Again, what do eyes do? They see. They have vision. What's, what's this focusing in on Jesus? That Jesus has all authority and that he can see all, right? That's the point. It goes on and it says, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. People see this and say, okay, so how does that work? Which spirit of God am I under? Again, seven is the, the number for completion. Um, I was talking to Bill about this uh, earlier and Bill, you know, who's our just kind of resident, Pastor Bill, who's one of our resident theologians, who is our resident theologian here, right? You ever have a question, go to Bill. He, lit- he feels like he knows everything, right? Um, which I think he actually does. Um, but, you know, as I was talking to him, he was telling me that, you know, among churches, this, this whole, the whole idea of the seven spirits tends to get kind of, people have different views. But actually among historical theologians, it's uniformly agreed that this is a, this is a phrase meant to focus in on the Holy Spirit, not this idea of seven individual spirits, because since, the word, since seven is completion, the spirits is actually meant to just be the Holy Spirit. Because remember, the idea was that these seven eyes, which are the seven spirits, how does Jesus see and know all? Well, through his Holy Spirit that knows all and is around all. Because the Holy Spirit's purpose in the church is to testify to the work of Christ, to work in the hearts of his people. So how does Jesus know and see all? Well, through the Holy Spirit, right? Right. It's also important to note, and I'm going to get into some fun seminary stuff here, but the word sent is present indicative. It's, that's, the way, that's the tense the verb is in, which means that it's ongoing. What's the point here is that the Spirit is always doing this. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing is being, is testifying to Christ. Our text continues talking about the lamb in verse 7. He says, and he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Let's stop there. Notice that when Jesus goes to take the scroll, he doesn't have to be given the scroll. He takes it. Why? Because all authority and honor has been given to him. God, the father says this about God, the son, that he is going to raise him up as his right hand. So Jesus, the lamb, that was slain, but is now standing, is able to, with full authority, take the scroll, right? It tells us then that what, are the, what happens, the four living creatures that are always in the throne room singing holy, 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 right? That they fall down, the 24 elders all fall down, and it says something about the 24 elders, that they were each holding a harp, and also golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The idea of holding a harp just is related to the fact that they're about to sing a song. Right, which is the song in, verse, in verses uh, 9 through 10 that we're going to dig into. Um, all throughout the book of Psalms, there is no other instrument focused in on that relates to singing than the harp. And so that's the focus is the idea that they're about to sing. Secondly, it says that they have golden bowls full of incense. What does this mean? Well, golden bowls throughout the Old Testament were meant to be used in the tabernacle. If you remember, they were, they were to, um, there was commanded by God for them to create them in the book of Exodus. And so they, they create these, these, bowls of, these golden bowls that were supposed to be used for service. Um, so much so that then whenever Solomon creates his temple, the golden bowls are moved into the temple. Whenever Assyria comes and destroys the people of God and takes them into exile, it says that the golden bowls were taken with them. And actually back in Ezra and Nehemiah, whenever the, the temple is, is reconstructed, it says that the golden bowls are brought back into the newly constructed temple. What's the purpose of these golden bowls? Simply this, service. Service to God's people. And we see that these golden bowls in heaven are still serving God's people. How are they serving God's people? By having the prayers of the saints. It says the golden bowl is full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. You can read this and say, okay, what's going on with these prayers, right? What's, what's, what's taking place? Here's what I want to focus in on. Psalms 141.2, David says, let my prayers go up before you like incense. Okay. The focus for us should not be on trying to figure out why there are prayers in this bowl and how they physically can do that, right? Our focus should be actually on the implications of that. And let me, let me try and, let me try and uh, drag that out a little bit. Have you ever gone into a house that has incense burning? Or my, for example, my, my grandmother, um, she was really into like potpourri. You know what potpourri is, right? Is potpourri still a thing? People still do that? No, okay, thank you. Yeah. I got I got two very strong. Nope, they don't do that. Cool. Um, my grandmother, she had potpourri. and I remember when we would go into her house, it's like it hit me like a train. Like I could smell it, you know? And the same thing with incense. You go into a house or somewhere pla- or a place that is incense burning, you immediately smell it. It is right there. Now, isn't it interesting that our prayers are described as incense? Now, think about this. Your prayers are right before God and are described as incense. So don't ever be concerned that your prayers are not reaching the ear of God. They are so distinct. They are so right there, just the way that incense is to, the, to, to, to your nose. So are the prayers before God. It's amazing to think about that. And our text continues on in verse 9 as they begin to sing, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Jesus redeems us by his blood. That's what verse nine is telling us, right? We know that because sin, the world is broken we all know that. We feel that. I think we feel that even more so in the midst of all this pandemic, don't we? We see the need for this world to be changed, for this world to, uh, you know, I was I mentioned this in the 9 a.m. service, but there's a guy that I've been um, meeting with and, and, and trying to help talk to him about Jesus and the gospel, and he's not a believer, and I, I told him a couple weeks ago, I said, I said, brother, like, you can't look at the world around you and know that something's not broken. You can't look in the world around you when you see just the reality that we live in a world that is both beautiful and broken. And for me, when I open up the Bible, it explains it for me. It helps make sense of the world that we live in because without the Bible making sense of it, you know, I'm I'm out to lunch. I don't know what's going on. So I told him because he asked me, he's like, why do you, you know, are you a Christian just because you grew up in a Christian family? I said, no, I'm a Christian because the Bible makes sense for the world that we live in. We're broken in sin, but Jesus, through his death on the cross, makes us whole again. It says in verse 9 that we are ransomed. We're the ransomed people of God by the blood of Jesus. And it says this about those who are going to be there in heaven. Think about this. It says that from every tribe and language and people and nation, when we show up to heaven, it's going to be a diverse crowd. There's going to be people from every tribe, every language, every nation, worshiping Jesus, the Lamb who was slain. What an amazing moment. This is all what Jesus is doing through his redeeming work, through the Holy Spirit in these days before he returns. Question though is, what's our purpose now, right? What are we supposed to do now? I was talking to another friend of mine who was a Christian and recently, or not recently, but a few years back, uh, kind of walked away from the faith and he said to me, he said, well, isn't, isn't just, you know, what does the church even do now? Isn't, isn't just, you know, Christianity, it's just fire insurance. That's what he said. Just fire insurance. He said, so I'll just, I'll just live my life the way that I want. And then, you know, whenever I'm going to die, I'll say the prayer and I'll be good. And I told him, I said, no, because the Lord doesn't just save you from something. He saves you to something. He doesn't just save you f- just from sin and death, but he saves you to his work of restoration. That's what he calls us to do. He calls us in our places of work, in our families, in our interactions with others to be his image to the world around us. The broken world that we see, it's us by the spirit's power helping to restore that, realizing that we are in this already not yet period, aren't we? Right? Have you guys heard that the already not yet idea, right? It's a theological term, just meaning that we are already, we're in that moment where Jesus is redeeming and restoring things, but we're not yet complete, are we? That's so why we still continue to see sickness and death and decay and hurt and, and tears is because we're not yet there. But someday we will be. Someday Jesus will restore all things. So what are his people do now? It says that you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. What do priests do? So what are we going to do in heaven? Priests serve and worship. They serve and worship. That's what we're doing Now on this earth and that's what we'll do in the earth to come is we'll serve and worship God let me just close with this um I think one of the difficulties with restoration and with thinking about the redeemed world that is to come is that we're so quick to forget it and we honestly don't provide ourselves with information to remind us so let me give you I'll kind of close with this little story it um randomly kind of came to me this week as I was kind of thinking about our text. Um, You know, in the midst of this pandemic, something that I constantly hear people saying and that I, I say to myself and say to my, and within my family is like, is this just this phrase? I can't wait for life to go back to normal. That's what I keep saying. I can't wait for life to go back to normal. I can't wait to be able to gather together again as a church. I can't wait to be able to go to a movie theater with my spoilers, right? I can't wait to be able to hug people again. I'm an extrovert. I love being with people. I can't wait to just be able to hang out with people, to have people over the house all the time. I can't wait for life to go back to normal. But what if it never did? What if the coronavirus just continued on? What if for whatever reason, God forbid, they found out the vaccine doesn't work? What if it never works? What if we we're always destined to have masks on? We're never able to gather it again as the church. We're ne- never able to go to movie theaters. What if it never changes? You and I, that remember the way that life used to be, we would, we would always have that ache in our souls of, of remembering the way that life used to be. But, I, but this thought came to me this week I, I don't know if my kids would especially my, 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 my baby and my two-year-old and my, my five-year-old, I was thinking about this. I, I don't know if they would ever remember. I think it would just become their new normal. I think it would just become the way that life is for them. They would not have this ache or this remembrance of what life used to be. Now, here's the thing is that we can so often be that with the redeemed world to come. Because guess what? None of us were, were alive in the book of Genesis. None of us were alive whenever God had created the world perfect. None of us lived in that perfect world that didn't have any sin, didn't have any brokenness, didn't have any pain. And so what do we need? We need God's word to remind us. We need God's word to, to set us, to give us a vision for what life was actually supposed to be and what life will be once again. Because what happens so often for people is that, you know, heaven's really difficult for them to, un- to think about because... This is the only world they know, and so we need God's word to remind us. So let me close with, I think, which, I think, uh, which is one of our, one of what I think is one of our best scriptures to describe the world to come. It's Revelation chapter twenty-one, verse verses one through four. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. have passed away. Let me leave you with these two quick points. How amazing will it be one day, soon and very soon, that we will not need faith and there will be no sin? Let me explain that first one. Faith is belief in something that you do not see. There will be a day when we no longer need faith because God will dwell with his people he will be there. We will see him and faith will be a thing of the past because he will be present with his people. And secondly, what a day it will be whenever there is no sin, there is no death, there is no fear of pandemics where we can dwell together with our God, with his people in constant enjoyment, service, and worship. Amen. We're reminded that this is the purpose of Christmas of why God sent Jesus, so that everything would be restored once again. Church, let's remember that. Let's set our focus, our gaze on that, and continue to work in the in-between. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for Jesus. And Lord, as our hearts and our minds are reminded of Christ, Lord, help us not to just stay with with what we've been saved from, but God, help us to move to also what we've been saved to. God, give us a continual vision from your word of what heaven is going to look like. God, fill us with hope, with joy, with perseverance in this in-between time. As we live within the already and the not yet, give us faith to believe. As we look forward to the day where faith will be a thing of the past, where there will be no more tears, where where there will be no more death or dying. And God, we will be with you.